Welcome, welcome everybody. On today's pod, we discuss the Darnold trade. Who won this trade and what exactly does this mean going forward for both teams? We also look back at the infamous Jim Rome, Jim Everett interview. Why are people still talking about this hilarious sports interview 27 years later? We also discuss the NFL draft, that dipshit Dan Orlovsky, the basketball natty, baseball's glaring umpire problem, and more. Let's get this started. Every once in a while, a sports interview comes along that just becomes legendary. And this week, we celebrate the 27th anniversary of, I would argue, one of the most entertaining and brief sports interviews of all time. Yes, I'm talking about Jim Rome and Jim. Check that, Chris Everett. And I'm going to play that for you now. If you haven't heard it, you've been living under a rock. It's just pure gold. Jim, good to have you on the show. Good to be here, Jim. Thank you. Check that. Chris Everett, good to have you on the show. You know what? You know, you've been calling me that for about the last five years. About two years, actually, Chris. Well, hey, you know what? Let me, let me say one thing. In that game, how many sacks did I have that we came back and won? How many sacks did yeah, you have? Yeah, how many game? How many sacks? Let's well, see, but this was back in 1989. Okay, so you, you may have even been Jim Everett back there, but somewhere along the way, Jim, you ceased being Jim and you became Chris. Well, let me tell you a little secret. That... You know, we're sitting here right now, and if you guys want to take a station break, you can. But if you call me Chris Everett to my face one more time... I already did it twice. Better, you better... If you call one more time, we better stay, take a station break. Well, it's a five-minute segment, our five-segment show. we got a long way to go. Well, we do. we got a long way to go. We do. I'll get a couple segments out well, of here before. Well, it's good to be here with you, though. Well, it's good you to know, see you, too. because you've been talking like this behind my back for a long but time. But now I said it right here. Right, exactly. Well, we got no problem well, I with think that. It, I think that you, you probably won't say it again. I bet I do. Okay. Chris. <laughs> All right. So the end of that clip, obviously you can't see it because it's a podcast. Um, you got to Google it. Jim Rohn gets attacked by Jim Everett. It's, it's on YouTube. Um, it really has it all. Uh, and for people that don't know the background story, we're about to talk about it. But this really launched Jim Rome's career in the 90s. And um, as much of an asshole, and yes, he's the smug guy talking in the background but you got to read some of the history behind this uh how great is this interview marcus you had not even heard it before a couple days ago yeah I'm, i was very unfamiliar with it and, I, and honestly I'm, i've always been kind of impartial about jim rome but and i after a few takes i'm like all right i get it on his end honestly hey chris everett's such a bitch um straight up i i think in a court of law i think that blatant disrespect to your face it, i think it's permissible to punch someone right in their shit and I, and I think that when he, you know, he's like, I dare you to say it again. As soon as he says it, you should punch him in his shit. Um, you know, allegedly, I know people that would have punched them right in their shit. So Chris Everett, man, what a chump he is. Jim Rome, good on you. And obviously, uh, you've reverse. done very well since. <laughs> I think you mean the reverse. Uh, Jim Rome is the bitch in that situation. But yeah, I... I Jim Rome, he's somebody I kind of discovered when I was younger. And when I first like saw his show on TV, you know, Rome is Burning, I was like, okay, I kind of like this. After a week, it's old. And and it's just like, this guy's just a smug douchebag who could you could tell never played a real sport in his life, could never hack it. So he does all he does is tear down people. And it makes Ridiculous. me feel like... Ridiculous. It, it, like, uh, I feel like that just launched what we have now today. There's so many characters like that today. You know, the, the Skip Baylesses of the world that come out of that mold. 
now, now, Derek, if someone was like, hey, you're a bitch and you're and obviously you'd say, say it to my face. And they said it. Would, would you punch them in the shit or would you just flip a table and look at him and not do anything? So, yeah, obviously it's a bitch move from Jim Rome. But, uh, you know, you got to step up to the plate when a fastball is delivered. It's just really that simple. So and, uh, I think everyone's, I think everyone's quick. I think everyone's take quick to take Jim Everett's side. I'm actually more on Marcus's side where I think it had it all both sides. I think Jim Everett deserved to punch him, but I also think Jim Rome, I fucking kind of liked it a little bit. He knew he could bring him on. I'm sorry. You're, you're two grown ass adults. If you can be brought on television and provoke that easily, you should reconsider your stance on going on, on television like that. So uh, Jim Rome, fr- from the moment the interview begins, he goes, Hey, good to have you, Jim. And then he does his, iconic check that chris everett there's so yeah. many lines but dude the best part by far is well i bet you won't say it again i bet i will <laughs> and, and then follows up with it he's like and here it goes dude, I, I wish I, I could have that on a hot button chris i uh i think oh. i think jim ever gets what he wants out of it though you know the end of the clip ends with jim rome laying on his back turtled up and you can see the fear in his eyes like is this guy gonna kill me so, so uh, some Jim Everett slash Chris Everett. Chris Everett, let it be known, is actually a, a, a good tennis player. Um, but uh, Jim Everett, uh, career stats, 203 career touchdowns. He led the league twice, 175 career interceptions. Mind you, he played in the late 80s through, you know, 97. Um, and he only produced a uh, 60, 60% passing season twice out of 12 years. I, I like how you pull up numbers that honestly no one gives you shit about. Um, <laughs> I just I just want to make the point that he's he was really well, not a good player but, at all. Before we yeah, go forward. He's still an NFL this is, athlete, but still. Sure. Is, but this is what he's most famous for. So a lot of people don't know the history behind it, so that's what I want to dive into. And we're not going to talk, obviously, the whole pod. It's just a really fucking funny story. So basically what happened is Jim Everett uh, played for the Rams, who were at the time the L.A. Rams, I believe, right? Yes, and so 90s, they, yeah. they, they played the 49ers in the playoffs, and Jim Everett got absolutely crushed, like sacked on every play, was getting hurt so badly that he took what's known now in NFL history as the phantom sack, where nobody touched him, but he just went down because he was fucking scared. He was just getting hit in so often. So Jim Rome, who I believe was out of L.A. at the time, was just coming after him, calling him Jim Everett. Now, Jim Everett, I'm sorry, Chris Everett, Chris Everett at the time was a professional women's tennis player. So it, it had it all. A little bit of misogyny, you know, it was sexist. I mean, it was just classic, just douchery um, on Jim Rome's part. So he's calling him Jim or Chris Everett, um, Everett on all of his uh, radio shows and all this, calling him out. Jim Everett obviously hears it. He probably gets provoked into an interview. And there we have, there we have it. So just for anybody that doesn't know the history behind it. No, imagine, I mean, this is obviously a, such a 90s clip. Imagine if that happened today and his big burn on Jim Evers, oh, you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, that shit would not fly today. No. It's much harder no. to be Jim Rome today. And Jim Rome still exists, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Without a doubt, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, <clears throat> I know, like, like for, you know, for instance, like Robert Downey Jr., after some of his, his issues, people start uh, pressing weird questions and he just looks at his publicist. He's like, yeah, let's, I'm getting out of here. Uh, it, it's, it's tough to do that now. So um, obviously it's nice that it's on video and audio. So we have that uh, golden clip for uh, forever. Yep. It's just a, just a great interview. I just wanted to bring it up just because it's one of those things that every year they celebrate the anniversary of it. And it really is like whatever you think about Jim Rome and Jim Everett and who came out, 
that launched Jim Rome's career. You don't even you don't even hear about Jim ever anymore. Jim Rome became a, a huge force in sports media for the next decade. So, do, do, do you think Jim Everett gets like a like a percentage of his earnings every year for uh, for helping launch it? So, so that's there... that's interesting that you say that. There is a group of people that think that that uh, is one hundred percent staged. Because if you look at it, the back and forth is kind of awkward. It's almost like two people on stage, kind of like delivering awkward uh, lines at each other. So I could see that, but I, I think that the awkwardness that people are seeing is just the fucking tension. You know, Jim Everett was sitting there getting suited up with the mic. Jim Rome's just sitting there with that. Dude, if, if you watch that video, how smug is Jim Rome's face? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh see, my God. see, the only thing like with like agreeing with like the staged part and in, in there is, A, there's no punches thrown whenever he flipped the table and went after him. Right. It, it, honestly, just like Pat McAfee was going after a wrestler and the guy doesn't throw any punches or anything. They kind of just like scuff and then the camera cuts. So I, I see that. So ho- hopefully uh, – Hopefully, Chris Everett's getting like uh, 0.08% of his uh, salary for a year in and out. <laughs> Chris Everett. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to be a quarterback anymore. So, listen, we can do this and uh, let me get money that comes for the rest of my life. Yep. No, I actually read an I, I listened to an interview recently. Jim Everett was talking about that. Jim Rome, by the way, he, he pretends like he's embarrassed about it as if who would be embarrassed about what launched your career? He's like, they'll never let that down. Well, it's the only reason you exist. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, how, that, that's how iconic that interview is. We're talking about it 27 years later, as if it happened a week ago. So, uh, go out and make your mark. However, that is maybe not that douchey, but, uh, props to Jim Rome. We're still talking about you 27 years later, but let's launch into some actual news. Obviously the biggest news this week, uh, was the NFL, uh, Darnold trade. Just pretty huge. Um, in terms of numbers, what was traded, pretty small. Uh, the Jets really didn't get that much for a guy that was a former, what was he, th- third overall or three. second overall? Yeah, three. Third. third overall. So former third overall pick goes to uh, Carolina. Darnold, um, you know, I. what do you guys think about this trade? Um, I, to be honest, I think Carolina fleeced him. Uh, and, and I've had this conversation in a, with a few different people uh, trying to ask why. So the why is there's really not that much of value they had to give up for you know potential. Um, you know he, he's shown flashes. So a six this year that's nothing. And truth be told, you know in the grand scheme, next year a fourth. They're really give or take the talent wise. Obviously second, you know there's some good players that do shine, but. Um, He's not he's not expensive, and then you know it it really depends on what's going to happen with um, you know Teddy B. But in the worst case, you've got two relatively inexpensive quarterbacks um, as far as the market's concerned, um, and you have a battle, and then you have a young guy going forward, and then it just gives you so many options. Um, and then you know worst case, you suck. Then they both tank. You get a quarterback next year, and you really didn't give up too much for a uh, for a gamble on a team that's still truthfully uh, rebuilding. Um, they, they outperformed what I thought they would do last season. Um, they're, they're a rebuilding team, but uh, having those options, that's not much to give up for that. So, yeah, um, I, dude, I 100% agree. Uh, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, good for both sides. Then when I saw that they were future picks, 2022 draft picks, I mean, so they're giving up almost the entirety of the value in the following year. The Jets absolutely got fleeced. They didn't really have a lot of choice. 
Uh, the, the draft is coming up. It's very obvious that they're taking a quarterback. So every day that goes by, uh, Darnold's uh, value continues to tick down because he's not like some veteran that's going to coach their next quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Like That's, that's not the way it's going to work. So every day that goes by up until the draft, he's losing value. But I think they could have gotten better than this. It To me, this is a golden move for Carolina because if, if you're going to gamble for a quarterback, a second rounder is acceptable. It, it, like, let's say, let, people forget, Darnold was the expected number one overall pick in this draft. He very much fell to number three. Baker Mayf- Mayfield was kind of a shock by most people's, you know, some people thought yeah. he was going to go to number one to the, to the Browns, but a lot of people thought they were taking Darnold. I know Colin, you know, Cow, Cowherd has been <laughs> sucking Darnold's dick for years. Um, he He's a guy that a lot of people respected. He goes to Adam Gase, who, let's face it, I mean, Adam Gase mishandled Tannehill. The only guy Adam Gase didn't mishandle in his entire career is Jay Cutler. So we can we can agree that Adam Gase has been somewhat of a disaster. So I, I love the move from Carolina, absolutely. Well, and, and also, and also, you know, when you start looking at some of the uh, you know the experts that everyone reads online, the other option was trading from eight up into the top five, which is going to cost multiple first rounds, and th- those guys really aren't going to be sure things. And and some of those names, I, I personally don't like the quarterbacks that they were having options for. So completely uh, agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you and I are definitely going to stand super firm on that, and um, and ultimately. Um, hope, hopefully, uh, Sam Darnold likes to uh, check down so Chris McCaffrey can have another uh, 100, 100 catch season next season. My, my problem is they stick at three and they, they or two, and everybody knows they're going to pick Zach Wilson. I don't think Zach Wilson's ceiling is any higher than Sam Darnold's. So all you're gaining is two years younger on a guy, and you're taking the number three overall pick versus what they got back for him. Um, I, I definitely, I, I would want to be in Carolina's position. You get a comparable guy with a lot less. Uh, from a cost standpoint, Matt Rule uh, interviewed for the Giants job, loved Darnold in his interview, wanted to go get him. I wonder, and I haven't really heard anyone talk about this yet, but we all know New England's probably in the market for a quarterback. Is this one of those situations where they took less to get him out of division than probably New England would have got? I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if New England called, but you got to think New England would give up as much, if not more, for him. I can tell you that there's absolutely zero percent chance that the Jets are going to trade Sam Darnold straight up to New England. That was right. never going to happen. No, that's that's what I'm saying. Um, I, I think this is another example of, of teams that it, like cut their it, nose it, off to spite their face just to get a guy out of the division or out of the conference. Sure, that's possible. But if you've been listening to what they've been talking about with the Sam Darnold stuff, like the all, all this week leading up to this trade, um, you know, the, the last couple weeks, I heard there was rumors that. Uh, teams were offering thirds and fourths straight up for Darnold, and that was it. And the Jets were like, we can literally get a third if he just leaves and you know, um, we get a comp pick for him, so we're not going to trade him for less than a third. Um, they wind up getting a second, a fourth, and a sixth, so that's three picks. In reality, that's not a, it's not a good haul, but it's also not a bad haul in my opinion. Um, you've got one year of Sam Darnold uh, under contract, and then you have to pick up his fifth-year option, in which you're going to have to pay him a significant sum of money for that one year. They, now, they, they, have to make, they have to make that decision either now or that time has passed for that option, I believe. Yeah, yes, they have to make that decision now, but soon, before, um, I think it's sometime in April uh, yeah. here, they have to make that determination whether or not they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. Now, that fifth-year option is guaranteed uh for injury, but not for anything else, right? So you can still cut him and just not have to pay for all of it. Um, but if he was to get hurt next year, then you're on the hook for all of it, okay? So there's that aspect of it. Um, and so if you're the Jets, what you're really gaining out of this besides the three picks 
in taking Zach Wilson is you're gaining three years on the quarterback clock, right? You're having a rookie quarterback on his rookie salary for three years, uh, and you're a new GM, you're a new coach, you have your opportunity to build the team and shape it how you want. Um, and Sam Darnold has a lot of negative value to him uh, at this point in time. So I'm not saying by any means this is a good deal for the Jets, but I don't think it's all that bad. <laughs> well, dude, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and also comforted that Newman took the Jets' point of view because we, we needed that on the well, cast. Well, none of you guys were going <laughs> well, to. I know, so. I know. And I'm glad you did. I think it's trash. We, what, what Derek was saying is, is true. Like, I don't really understand what this is. It's like you already kind of know what you have in Darnold. You can assume that his um, uh, development has been mismanaged. If, if, if I'm... If I'm if I'm the coaching staff in the in the new uh, you know regime that's coming into the Jets, for me for my money, I trade down, I load up on picks, and then people say, okay, you know, um, Darnold was already a bust. You know what I'm saying? Like they're setting themselves up to fail. If Zach Wilson comes in and he's bad, that's the end of of this whole Jets experiment for everybody. If your quarterback doesn't work out, you don't work out. We already know John- another six seven years, and Darnold has shown flashes. So that that's all I'm saying is it's it's like going to the mystery box when you kind of already know what you got. Um, it's just it's a huge gamble. I, now, if if they truly think they know what they have in Zach Wilson, I admire the gamble. I, I, I like I like gutsy choices. But for for me, if I'm going to make that gamble, it's not for Wilson. It's for Justin fucking Fields. I'm just yeah. saying. You I know mean, what I'm saying that's so yeah. So we can't actually say that we know for sure that the Jets are taking Zach Wilson. That is the common perception. But at this point in time, we don't know that. I, I agree with you. I would take Fields over Zach Wilson. Um, but in regards to, we're not analyzing that. We're analyzing this trade, right? So in terms of where this trade uh, puts these two teams, I think the Jets are, they did okay with it. They didn't do great. Um, it may be a slight negative, but it's fine in reality for what you got for Sam Darnold. Um, and the Jets have a lot of picks over the course of the next several drafts. So I, you know, they can build the pieces around Sam, around you know whoever their next quarterback may be, um, hopefully in a good way. And you know, Jug, Joe Douglas comes from the from the Ravens tree of GM, so he, you know, he, he's not a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. But I think in, in evaluating a trade, you get to look to see what else was on the table. I mean, sure, we saw we, we don't, saw we don't know we, what else was on the table, but we do. We saw what San Francisco just got for three or moved up to go to three, four, what they paid to go up to three. You know, that's comparable, if not more, what you can get to go back from two, go back right. and get Waddle, go right. back and get Pitts, go back and get you already crushed it with Beckton last, last year. Go back and get more players. The quarterback's not going to fix that roster. So they need I, wide receivers, they need defense. They okay, need let, let, me, let me pose this question to you. So, uh, so Carolina, six this year, second and fourth next year. What if New England then jumps in and makes a deal for Darnold, gives up a fifth this year and a second and fourth next year, just for the extra one round up, just to say "fuck you, Jets." What, you, I would you be, you'd be in New England. That, I would be I would be happy with either quarterback that's on Carolina's roster right now versus what New England has today. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let, let, let's stick to what let's stick to what's real, real, and that's that rules uh, has has gotten off to a rocket fucking start with the Panthers. I mean, they were surprisingly competitive last year. They're building a great team. Um, I mean, to be, to be honest, when you look at Stafford going to the Rams for two first-round picks, I mean, if the price is that high for Stafford, this price is in, it is discount bargain bag. It's like it's going to Marshalls 
and finding like a fucking like uh, Armani fucking suit in, in the aisle that fits you perfectly. Like, I don't know. I, I, I love it. Cause if Darnold doesn't work out, who gives a fuck? Like no. they, they, they have a, they have a capable quarterback for the next few years. Um, they can go back. They, they can look into the free agency. There's going to be some guys that come out in free agency in the next couple of years. Like they have so many options. Um, yeah. I, I just, I love it from Carolina's perspective. And I just really love what rule is doing with Carolina. I, I love everything he's doing. Yeah, and, and honestly, even if they do just pick up his option now, it's it's still pretty inexpensive as far as having a, a starting, you know, even a mid-tier quarterback at the $20 million range, which is, I think, where right where Teddy's at. That, that, that's a damn bargain yep. going forward. Yeah, so let's talk about Teddy. So he's obviously the next question. Uh, the Carolina Panthers are allowing Teddy to seek his next team, so he's he's talking to teams, which I just, I just think it's kind of weird when a, a player talks to teams and not the team itself. But um, you have to assume his value is really low. So a team could probably swoop in there, scoop him up for like a sixth, maybe fifth rounder. You know, I, yeah, I, I would think that's nothing. probably the ceiling. They, they could probably go get him for anything. Who, who do you guys see as a good uh, trade partner for, for the Panthers now? I, th- I think Washington's pretty much one of the only options as far as like cap and competition goes. Um, for, for them, you got Fitzpatrick. Um, but I, it's not like a position of need because we know what Teddy B is. I, I, I do think he's been kind of shafted and he's been unfortunate at times, uh, but he's, he's a serviceable quarterback. But if you're Washington, um, you know, th- there is obviously some cap involved, but uh, obviously Taylor, Taylor Heineke had a, or Tyler Heineke had a, a good performance in the playoffs, but I think you're more comfortable going forward. If, you know, if you add him into the mix, even, you know, you know, veterans, him, Fitzpatrick. Um, I, th- I think Washington might be one of the best suitors for me personally. <clears throat> How about so, Denver? Yeah. How about Den- Denver? Denver? I like, I like Denver. Be- yeah. They're, they're a team that's talked about moving up and, uh, <clears throat> and drafting a quarterback, but there might not, there might not be any quarterbacks left by the time you get there at nine. What if you move down, um, collect a few more assets and then you trade a later round pick for Teddy Bridgewater. I think that, uh, that would, that would solve your quarterback potentially. Um, at least for a few years. So I booked a flight last night uh, to Carolina, to New England, back to Carolina, and then back to Tampa. So I'm going to try to broker a Teddy Bridgewater to New England deal uh, myself. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it done. Uh, nobody knows who I am. Probably won't get into any buildings, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, I think he'd be a great fit for New England, honestly. I think what he does, intermediate pass game, athletic enough to run some of the stuff that McDaniels wants to run. Uh, I don't think he's any less athletic than Jacoby Brissett is. Um, I, I think there's some things that can be done there. And the biggest thing is I think the cost is going to be cheap. So then that at 15, it lets New England take a really, a really good position player. We talked about how position players studs are going to get pushed down to that mid first round, or they just trade back and pick up some picks and, and try to fill in. They were very, very active in free agency. Maybe they trade back and, and try to pick up some guys later in the second, third round. You guys do have the cap. And remember last year, Teddy B as, as far as fantasy goes, which I know we're going to dive into very shortly. He had some. He had a handful, like three or four thirty-point performances as far as your quarterbacks go, and a lot. And he was never hardly ever rostered with anybody. Yeah. So, um, as a Vikings fan, I can tell you this about Teddy Bridgewater. I think he fits perfectly in New England because he's a game manager. He's never going to blow the game open. He's never going to give the game away. Um, he's super careful in the first couple quarters, and then he strikes in the fourth. That's a guy that, to me, Bill Belichick loves. Um, I have to assume that he is a really good fit in New England. For me, for my money, almost every quarterback in the league is a better fit than Cam Newton. I personally think he's terrible. Now, a lot of people think, oh, you know, his, his weapons were bad. I think 
Cam Newton is just really bad. So that that's just my take. Now, if, if you're a believer in Cam Newton, maybe you disagree. Uh, but I, I love the New England fit. Um, I think Denver makes a lot of sense. They have so many weapons. Um, I think they, you know, their defense is, is good enough that they just kind of need a serviceable guy at quarterback. And Drew Locke at this point is not even serviceable. Um, so, yeah, I like both those fits. But, yeah, I, I think I, I really uh, one dark horse, too, is if this is Sean Watson shit goes south, then maybe the Texans just go get a rental. If it's only cost a fifth or a sixth, go get a rental. Um, I've heard them already linked to Alex Smith. If this goes bad, and I think that's a, a mistake. Wow. I would love to watch them go in sixteen with him at the helm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So if this goes if this goes south, there's a big suspension. If you need an insurance plan, maybe Teddy B could be a really good option. Yeah. So just completely out on Tyrod Taylor and Houston. He, he got a pretty, he got a decent contract, like ten million or something like that. Like that's that's pretty good backup money. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it was such a fortunate, and we talked about it on one of our uh, um, pods earlier. The, earlier, when all this was streaming down, I was like, uh, you know, Tyrod's so unlucky with the uh, the bad injection, and then loses yeah. the spot to Herbert. And then he goes over to Houston to be a backup, and then all this goes down. So now he gets to be a starter. So I, I guess with his luck, it would only make sense for Teddy B to go in there and take, take the position <laughs> that, hey, that was so, handed to him. Say you're a pharmacist, and uh, Tyrod Taylor walks into your CVS or whatever to get you know your Pfizer shot. Uh, how tempted are you to take that syringe and just be like? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyways, <laughs> just shaking your hand like this. <laughs> it's the best thing that ever happened to the Chargers, by the way. Uh, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, hands down. Yeah. So the Darnold trade, and and you know we didn't really talk about this. I do want to touch on it. So Robbie Anderson had the best game or best season of his career by far last year. He busted out almost a hundred catches. You know, over a thousand yards. Uh, everyone thought that he could be really good with the Jets, but he played with Darnold the whole time. Um, is Robbie Anderson's uh, ineptitude with the Jets is that more related to Adam Gase, or do you do you think this reunion will be a happy one? I think it's Gase related. I think Robbie Anderson had a good year, hit the second to last year with the Jets, right? Yeah, I think he had a big breakout. Kind the of last two years with the Jets, he had over seven hundred yards, but he was one of those guys that he was always predicted as a sleeper in fantasy, and he just never fucking panned out. You know? Yeah, he, he, would, he would have late season runs when the Jets were out of it, um, and kind of if you scooped him up off waivers, he, he could have carried you somewhat. I mean, yeah, he was a steal last year. I've, I've never been a big fan of the guy. Uh, he's t- obviously he's talented. Um, he's been able to make big plays, but you know he's one of the guys that have a very limited route tree, thin frame, uh, and a, a lot of the times when he uh, would you know fantasy aspect would make your days. It'd be like a broken play, you know, just like a slant. Someone does something stupid, an 80-yard touchdown, changes it over. It, um, it'd always be that, like, awkward time after halftime when half the games are on, yeah. on commercial break still. And like, oh, game break, Robbie Anderson, 80-yard reception. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, oh, what do you do? Nothing. He was he was one of the biggest sleepers last year in fantasy. There's really no doubt. I mean, he, he was top 15 in pretty much every category, including fantasy points. He was 10th in receptions, uh, 15th in total yards. I mean, he had a really, really good year last year. So I just wonder, um, you know, I'm a huge Joe Brady guy. I'm, a, I'm just a fucking huge Joe Brady guy. The guy, everything he touches turns to gold. He's one of these young dudes that he, he's just one of these guys. that he's, He seems like he can do no wrong. I think he's going to be a really, really good head coach someday. Um, and I think that what he's building in Carolina, I think it's going to be a powerhouse. I really do. Um, I, but how I, I many love. of Robbie Anderson's natural touches end up with McCaffrey? 
True. So you, you think McCaffrey being gone last year uh, led to his kind of breakout? I don't I mean, know. That's almost that's almost a hundred touches that are available. I mean, you need a wide receiver too, and it's it was Teddy Bridgewater throwing the football. So I think it only opens it up more with Darnold because Teddy Bridgewater he really is a game manager. He's never done giant wonders for any wide receiver. Ask Stephon Diggs. Yeah. So so Carolina also lost Curtis Samuel to um, the Washington football team. Um, so that'll take some of those carries and, and free those up for a guy like McCaffrey there. For sure. Um, right. And then Mike Davis is off to Atlanta. So, you know, they were still throwing the ball to the running backs quite a bit during that whole time. Um, and so it's really Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and Christian McCaffrey. Um, they ha- didn't use the tight end a lot last year. I don't know if that's because the tight ends weren't any good or because, you know, the scheme didn't call for it. Right. But, um, did, did, well, you said Teddy, of- Teddy Two Gloves doesn't like the tight end, right? No, he never has. Rudolph had his Lovely. worst years under him. So yeah, yeah. Do you, Do you guys think uh, like Robbie Anderson is kind of like a um, like a poor man's Brandon Cooks? So like sometimes it's like they don't like explode off the top, but like Brandon Cooks always seems to have like 75, 80 catches for a thousand yards every season. But everyone just looks at him like nothing. And uh, kind of just talking with you guys, I, I, that's the the vibe I'm kind of getting with Robbie Anderson. I look at him as like nothing, but he just always finds his way to creep up in there. Yeah, Maybe he, nothing spectacular, but he's always more than sufficient. I mean, you obviously you remember Mike Wallace? Uh, or what was his name? What the, the, the yeah, wide, yeah. Mike Wallace is a good comp. I wide, think wide receiver for the Steelers. They're kind of these home run hitters that they don't really do much for you. They have a lot of two for 120 stat lines. You know, um, yeah, I agree completely. Uh, he, he's a poor man's Cooks for sure. Absolutely. I think I think Cooks is way more versatile in terms of the route well, that he can run for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, nat- naturally. Yep. All right, guys. Um, so. We're, we're, mo- we're moving on to the draft, and uh, it, it's a big story this last week. It's a huge story. Uh, there is a serious rift going on with ESPN um, with two guys specifically, and I love one of these guys for coming out and saying what he did, uh, but Dan Orlovsky, who is really you know cranking himself up to be the next big big ESPN douchebag like he is he not gearing up to be on first take like he, I, I swear he he wants to be on like one of these douchey like just hot take shows so Dan Orlovsky goes on Pat McAfee's show and he says some disparaging comments about um, Justin Fields the typical things that you hear obviously reference with unfortunately black players which is not a hard worker uh, last guy in, first guy out, uh, not very motivated. And he says all these things on the Pat McAfee show, and, and people will start listening to this, and they're like, wait, wait, what? Because it's completely contradictory to everything that everybody else has said about Justin Fields. So this whole thing blows up on Twitter. People are like, you know, name your sources. Obviously, he's not going to name his sources, but he immediately publishes a retraction video, and Herp, Kirk Herbstreet, comes out and just fucking destroys him. By the way, they both work for ESPN, so it's not a great look. Um, comes out, destroys him, said, you know, this is terrible journalism. Like, what are you doing? As it turns out, or the rumor is that he was kind of just going off on some hearsay. Like, he had heard it from some random people. They weren't good sources. He just kind of spat it off in the moment of, like, weakness or whatever it was on the Pat McAfee show. But uh, what do you guys think about this Dan Orlovsky situation? And is he not being properly punished by ESPN for this? I think it's it's brutal. And I think that 
the, the, the kind of the standard of verifying information when the content is, I mean, they're, they are what they are. They're racist tropes. Yeah. At this point, like we know very clearly that that's coded language for trying to portray somebody as not intelligent. You know, it's the same thing that black quarterbacks get labeled all the time. Yep. That hurts our draft stock. Meanwhile, on a competency test, he scores extremely high as far as being able to learn new information, pick up a new information. Um, you see these things about him, you know, can't read defenses, this, that, whatever. The one that bothered me the most, I think, because um, it's kind of, you know, outside the racist tropes, we know what those are. Like, the, the, those are very transparent. But the the last guy in, first guy out one, especially is bad to me because it lends itself credibility that it came from somebody at Ohio State or somebody at Georgia or somebody that knows him and speaks to his character when, you know, we hear Tom Brady, he's the first guy in, he gets in at five o'clock, he stays late. Like that's what people expect of quarterbacks. So say this guy's the opposite of what you want in a quarterback. And it sounds like it comes from a verified source when it, he fucking apparently made it up off the cuff is, is especially bad. And of course, Herb Street's going to come to defense. It's an Ohio State guy. I, I'm sure that played a factor with how fast he came to his defense, but I'm glad he did. And, and I think that you need to police your own. Uh, if, if ESPN doesn't get in front of that and say something, then, you know, it, it just lingers and, I think there should be discipline involved. You can't you can't have somebody representing the company like that. This is the out of all the topics that we're going to be covering, this is actually the one I was like most ready for. So, so as a preface, I fucking hate Dan Orlovsky. Every time he like like anyone disagrees with him, he cries like a little bitch. And um, I can't say how much I love Justin Fields, everything about the guy, and he's still my QB one as far as these guys go. So. It's terrible journalism. Obviously, you have to dig in with shit like that's that is that deep. But where this all stemmed from was why do you think that he's sliding? Because he is unnaturally like sliding on every single person's board. So I don't want to say like it was a trap question, but he just I'll never defend Dan Orlovsky because he just didn't do it properly. But the question was, why do you think that? He's sliding, and it, and it's ridiculous that like him at well, New England at fifteen but, is even a question. So his so his response was, "I've I've heard that this is why he's sliding, and blah blah blah, all false bullshit from everything that I can understand." But little trap question couldn't have happened to a worse announcer. I I hate Orlovsky, and um, yeah, they they should fire him. So I'll agree with you guys there. So I think here's the thing about Orlovsky: he thinks. He has this attitude of he's always right whenever he starts talking. He's never, like, ready to learn something. He he wears fake glasses on their morning show so that he looks smarter, so that when he goes to the board, he can be Professor Orlovsky. Um, talk about a guy who needs a shtick to, to just make himself interesting. Um, he, he's been talking about quarterback play for years, and we'd all agree, if you listen to him, he's often wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about sometimes. And this is coming from a guy who played in the NFL for a long time. He's also famous for, um, you know, uh, running out of bounds. Yeah. (laughs) When when he's got the ball and just having a lack of awareness, like not knowing where you are on the football field and just running out of bounds and then still trying to make a throw. And it's like, okay, I don't really want that guy grading my quarterback play. Sorry. Well, so if you want to analyze why uh, Justin Fields is sliding in the draft, just stick to the facts, the actual reasons he's sliding in the draft, which is that he has some unconventional mechanics, uh, i.e. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson was knocked for a lot of the things that um, uh, Justin Fields is knocked for. You know, Deshaun Watson, who wouldn't want that guy? You know, played in multiple national championships, proven winner. 
You know, what I'm, you see what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. not, knock he him. He still felt a ten. Knock. He still felt a ten. Knock him for the reasons that he's actually being knocked for. That that's that's the thing that is so sus about the the whole thing for me is that he's not even knocking him for the thing that scouts are knocking him for. Like, stick to the actual facts. Like, how bad of a journalist are you if you want to take the anti Justin Fields? Don't don't go into these racist tropes. Like they're none of them are true, and they're and they're so verifiably incorrect that it's so fucking embarrassing. Um, it's it's crazy the things that ESPN has fired people for. Uh, I'll uh, you know they've fired some, <laughs> they, they, they they've fired some great journalists in my opinion. Like say what you want about Colin Cowherd, the dude is pure entertainment. They fired him for a random comment that he made about I don't even remember what it was. It was something about like prospects and like somebody. Something about being from the Philippines. I don't even remember what it was. It was like slightly racist. This is way more racist than what Colin Coward said. So I don't understand this coddling that ESPN is doing of, of Dan Olofsky. And like, why why even go there with Dan Olofsky? Like, what, what does he even mean to your program? It's it's embarrassing all around. And, and what me and Derek were talking about right prior, is there some sort of weird motive behind this? Like, it's some team, like, talk to Dan Orlovsky, and I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy. I hope, who, I hope it's Pittsburgh. Who wants him to tank in the draft? But obviously, it, it that whole thing blew up because now he's re- published a retraction. You listen to all the comments from Ohio State. They even interviewed guys at Georgia. There's not been a single person that has said anything bad about Justin Fields. He has one of the squeakiest records you can have in terms of what was said. So it's embarrassing. It really is. Anytime somebody is trying to do something shady, I always point to New England. <laughs> yeah, deep cover. No matter what happens in the in the draft this season, uh, I'm not going to say no matter what because a lot of things will piss me off. But nothing would piss me off more than Justin Fields sliding to New England. Right. I, I I like legit might boycott the NFL for at least one week if that shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Justin Fields, Josh McDaniels? All right, Justin so, Fields and Josh McDaniels. Like, uh, I, I, I just got a little chop. It's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. But let's break into the NFL draft. So obviously, you know that's some big stories about the NFL draft. But we kind of have a draft board built. Um, we're pretty confident about it. Trevor Lawrence at number one. A lot of people think, you know, uh, they, they have their number two with the Jets. But then it's kind of a crapshoot. Um, some news since our last podcast. Uh, the, the fucking San Francisco showed up at Mac Jones's Pro Day. It was disastrous. Besides one hit that he made on a, on a wide receiver that they highlighted, by the way, Alabama highlighted. Uh, it was a horrible draft day. Bill Belichick literally left that draft day to take a plane over to IUPI, which is like a fucking small school in Indiana. It's it's literally the combination of, of Indiana and Purdue to go take a look at an offensive lineman. That That's a rumor that I heard. Like, right after he overthrew a receiver, he goes, nah. Literally left the fucking... So, horrible like, thing. How can I go use his third-round pick? It is the first pro day, from what I heard, a quarterback pro day that Mike Shanahan has ever attended as a head coach. So, our, our, what do we think now at the number three pick if we think that Zach Wilson is going number two? Everything that I've heard is Shanahan wants Mac Jones and Lynch wants... Um, Fields. Ooh, okay. So that's that's everything that I've heard is is there's a divide in between the coaching staff and the management as far as who they want to go with there. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. And the thing is, we know one and two are set. So there's no benefit of providing smokescreen. Oh, are we going to take Mac Jones? Are we not? Like, there's no benefit of that. Right. So I, f- I feel like that's legitimate, you know, speculation. I, I, I really hope the Niners go like Cleveland-esque and they trade it up for like Kyle Trask to number three. <laughs> <laughs> to, to like really spice it up. But um, Oh, man. The world that, that, burn. And everyone's opinion, like my opinion specifically, but like most – analysts however everyone that like digs into it the only reason that you trade up to that spot has to be for justin fields or trey lance which i'm not a big fan of because just for talent wise because you could you i think everyone was pretty confident that uh you know mac would be sitting there uh, where the niners were at, originally were at 12 um man I, so far I, it seems like the 49ers are the only team in, in the nfl that values mac jones as the third maybe as a third best quarterback there's right. no reason to go to three for him. I mean, Chris Collinsworth said it today, and I, I almost committed ritual suicide hearing Chris Collinsworth and me agree on something. But he said you don't go to three for Mac Jones. No. Well, no. I wonder if uh, Carolina maybe had their eyes set on Mac Jones, hoping that he was going to fall to eight. And then once he didn't uh, and they traded up for him, Carolina no, like has an idea that uh, San Francisco is definitely in on Mac Jones, and that led to the Sam Darnold trade. Because uh, there was a lot of rumors that – because Carolina's coaching staff did coach the Senior Bowl, they love Mac Jones there, uh, and so they were they were pretty high on him. Yeah, I don't mind him at eight. I don't mind him at five. At three, I think you're. That's just a huge mistake. So, so guys, as far as the draft is concerned, I, I was I was thinking about this the other day. I think we should do a uh, uh, like a March Madness bracket style. You know, pick points one through thirty-two, but make it like inverse points. So more points as you go deeper and deeper, um, and maybe. Um, and, and I'm sure we could figure out how to uh, use it either through ESPN or somebody, uh, but uh, offer it up to uh, some people. But I, I, those are always fun. You, you, you like to see who's going to fuck you over in the drafts, just like March Madness, who's going to bust your bracket. Yeah, so I, I've never been big on writer mock drafts. I think a lot of people are looking for just kind of splash picks, um, and so many people are just looking for the shock value. Like, I just pulled up CBS's mock drafts, so they got four guys here. And funny enough, the first guy, Ryan Wilson, he has Mac Jones going at three, and then he has the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts. Now, I don't doubt that the Falcons are that fucking stupid to take Kyle Pitts there, but if you're at number four and the the draft just went Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, is there any doubt that the Falcons go uh, Justin Fields there? I'm sorry, like, Kyle Pitts is obviously an insane talent, but Matt Ryan is 38 years fucking old. He's not, he wasn't good at 35, in my opinion. Like, he was never going to win you a Super Bowl at 35. So, like, what, what, what are they thinking there? Is, is that just a splash pick or like, what? So, I heard, um, I saw some rumors that Atlanta is looking to trade out of the four slot. Uh, to acquire more picks, so maybe they're not. They don't want a quarterback in this draft. They want. They want. They. They are a team that has a lot of needs. So that seems more likely to me than them taking Kyle Pitts at four. But I have been seeing a lot of people really hype Kyle Pitts, um, and I don't get it. And the reason for that is all these tight. We've seen a bunch of tight ends be really highly rated before. Be you know uh, just super studs. All this stuff. Everyone looks at him. Oh, they're big. They're strong. They're fast. They can block, they can catch, they can do all this stuff. Um, and and almost all of the first-round tight ends kind of bust. Uh, you find better value later in the draft at tight end. Um, so let's just look at some recent examples. O.J. Howard, 
Uh, David and Joku were both first round tight ends. Neither one of them has looked panned out to be really good. Uh, Eric Ebron was was a first round tight end. I mean, he's an okay player at the NFL level, but he's not living up to a first round or top five pick. I mean, you, um, could, you could even go Noah Fant, Hawkinson. Like these guys are good, but they're not making like 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 George Kittle like type type effects on their teams. You know what I'm saying? I, I agree with that. Does your opinion? Does your opinion change though? I've heard some teams are evaluating Kyle Pitts as their number one wide receiver on the board. So that's different. If you're planning on playing him at wide receiver, that's fine. But also, Philadelphia is the one team because they can't literally can't get to him. They've come out and said he's our number one wide receiver on the board. Yeah. So I I don't necessarily like that evaluation. But if you think that he's you know worth that and you're willing and you want to take him early and and you're going to play him at at wide receiver, that's fine. We've seen some tight ends convert to uh, wide receiver at the NFL level. Um, What's his name? Uh, The uh, former Michigan uh, tight end, now now uh, now NFL wide receiver. He's bounced around with Carolina. Yeah, Devin Funches. Last year. Funches. Yeah, so yeah, he was Funches, a tight end. I, th- I think Doxon was a tight end. Yeah, there's a few yeah, guys. Yeah, so, so so I mean, but th- those guys necessarily haven't panned out really well either. I'm not saying that Kyle Pitts won't pan out to be a good NFL player, but I'm not taking him at four. That's there's no way I'm taking him probably in inside my top well, five. Especially when but Justin was, Fields was, is there. He's from Atlanta too, guys. Yeah. It's wild. But yeah, but well, I, yeah, I, I've yeah. heard. I've, from what I've heard, you know, distilling information, I heard that Denver wants into four and New England wants into five. So, interesting. Well, so, so um, obviously, we don't, we don't want to dive too much into the draft yet. But honestly, like when you look at, at the draft, four is that swing pick. So, as far as quarterbacks go, if, if Atlanta doesn't trade out and they pick a position guy, you know, some quarterbacks could fall. That, that fourth quarterback could drop out of the top 10, which would be weird uh be wild you know obviously as far as predictions go but, but atlanta's the atlanta's the swing pick uh they, they have the most options what to do i i don't know part of me thinks that you know if you're if you're the panthers you might take a swing at a quarterback at eight even with sam darnold as your quarterback and just be like well we'll see what happens um especially if you're going to trade teddy or a team like um a team like Denver could could take a could take a quarterback too. I, I imagine that there will be five quarterbacks taken in the top ten. I, I think that's pretty set in well, stone in my head. I, th- I think what will be um, super fun. I, obviously, we um, everyone's talked about the Miami trades, you know, back and forth. But now that they're sitting back at six, they could they could still accumulate accumulate more picks even with that six spot. And, st- right. and they have two first rounders for the next three seasons, and they could add on top of that and still stay in the top ten. So I, that, that's something huge to stay on. And and I, when we talked about it before, that was something I even, I didn't even think about at the time. Um, but but they bet, could still snag two or three more from there. I would bet any sum of money that if if Lawrence goes one, Wilson goes two. Mac Jones goes three, and at four, Atlanta stays pat and picks either Sewell or Slater. I will bet any sum of money New England takes Justin Fields at five. Yeah. I, yeah. I hope not, because that means more picks for Cincinnati. Take him at six. Give everything to Miami. So, yeah, the, so the, there's uh, there's some interesting guys that could potentially fall down the draft. Uh, Pinai Sewell is obviously one of these guys that, you know, a lot of people think he could be the best player in the draft. Um, he's ridiculously talented, and it's odd to me with all the needs at offensive line uh, currently in the NFL how this guy could slide. But it, in a lot of these scenarios, he is one of the guys that's sliding. Another guy is obviously Parsons. Um, Slater could slide. Uh, you could even see uh, Sertain 
sliding. Uh, so there, there, there's some interesting talents that could slide down this draft board because of this quarterback rush that could take place in the top 10. Um, we're going to see potentially guys that are like second, arguably third round talents go possibly in the top 10. While meanwhile, guys who are clearly top three talents slide to possibly like 11, 12. It's a really interesting um, uh a little twist that could happen with this draft. I'm really excited for this draft. I think it's going to be uh, fucking earth shattering. This actually is probably going to be one of my favorite in the last three or four oh, yeah. years. I, th- I think this one could get as weird and wild as the Vikings taking ponder at 10. Um, I blew everyone's mind because he was going to be a late at for late oh, first at God. best, but, but, but he wasn't even like the most, um, um, Maybe so like, sad. Wild, wild, wild pick at that time. Um, nope. I, I think there's going to be a lot of this. Great players going to be sliding way too far down. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. This is gonna, this is going to be the best in like probably three years as far as like intrigue and weird shit going down. Happens. It's going to be a monster draft. We'll do a lot more podcasts about it. Um, and yeah, I, I I do think we should we should move off it for now because uh, there are some massive things that have taken place this last week. Um, in particular, obviously the Baylor-Gonzaga game, national championship, uh, so many brackets. A- a- as surprising as the tournament was, there are. I, I, I want to see the percentage of brackets that had people having Gonzaga or Baylor win. So that that's kind of how college basketball always shakes out, which is why it's not really my favorite sport. Because you get these interesting people in the beginning of the tournament, they never shake out. They never go the distance. So Baylor and Gonzaga go head-to-head. Obviously, uh, Gonzaga falls in epic fashion. Uh, the, the perfect season, Gonzaga. So, what do you guys think about this game? So, <clears throat> these were the two best teams all season. Um, yeah. There was a clear class, the two of them, and then everyone else. Um, there were mo- majority of people that I'm aware of had Gonzaga winning it um, and keeping that perfect season alive uh, because they just looked unbeatable. They had a stretch where they were beating teams by 20 points each game for like a majority of the season. Um, Then in the final four, UCLA, who is an 11 seed, played in the first four, gives them all they can handle. Uh, Gonzaga winds up winning on a last second shot by Jalen Suggs, who's going to go top three probably in this uh, NBA draft. And they look like, uh, you know, they're still going to be able to pull it off. And then they come out and Baylor absolutely hands it to them. They get up by nine points at one point and never look back. Uh, the closest I think I saw it get to was maybe eight or nine again. Um, but Baylor led the whole way. I really thought that Baylor was a good team. Um, they have a real a bunch of really good guards. And, and where they really killed Gonzaga is on the offensive glass. Um, but, yeah, I uh, it, it was a little bit surprising to see Gonzaga lose in that fashion, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean it's one of these it's one of these situations where has there ever been a team that that won every game in the regular season that won the tro- entire tournament as it happened? It's, 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 yeah, the last team to do it was actually Indiana with Bob Knight in 1976. It exactly. has happened a few other times. Um, there was some UCLA teams that did it with uh, you know uh, Lou Alcindor slash Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, when they actually changed the rules so that you weren't allowed to dunk in college because he was too good. Um, and then, you know, Bill Walton also had some had some good runs. I'm not sure if they were undefeated, but it, it's happened before. Um, it has not happened since 1976, so that's a long time. Did Memphis didn't go undefeated? I thought when, when Derrick Rose was at Memphis, they went they undefeated. Lost. Uh, they, they, they lost. They, 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 they didn't lose in the championship oh, game to Kansas. Okay. Actually, and, and actually, they weren't undefeated. They did lose a game, I think, either in their conference tournament or towards the end of the season gotcha. there. 
Um, the last undefeated team to lose the championship in basketball um, was actually Larry Bird and in Indiana State when they lost to Magic Irvin Johnson and Michigan State. Uh, it's a fun little fact for you. Yeah. So honestly, you know, it, uh, a lot of people made a lot of uh, New England memes. You know, New England, pro- arguably the best team in their franchise history was the team that lost it against the Giants. I mean, that, that team straight up had it all. It's one of the greatest offenses of all time. Uh, defense was ridiculously opportunistic. Um, I've said it for a long time. This undefeated thing, it's not fucking worth the pressure. Um, I'm no. not saying this is why Gonzaga lost it. I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but... These teams that carry this, like, what's the point? Like, you almost just want to drop one at the end of the season just to be like, like, fuck, fuck the undefeated. Who cares? Nobody's get it over with. Yeah, get it over with. I mean, you know, some, some of the best. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I've always said that. What are some other, like, teams that were undefeated or, or, or uh, Golden State Warriors? The pressure of them beating the Bulls record and then going in and then losing to Cleveland, the vastly inferior team. There's a weird stigma when you have these, and obviously you cannot go undefeated in basketball. It will never happen. But K- Kentucky had a team a few years back um, that was undefeated into the Final Four, and then they wound up losing to Wisconsin. And when uh, it was actually a really epic game, when just I a say, couple years. When back. I say basketball, obviously I mean NBA. There, there's literally no way in in, in NBA oh, history there no, will ever be a team that goes eighty. Yeah, teams. It it, it it will never happen. That team goes eighty-two and zero. So the 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 fucking Warriors are as close to that as you will ever get. Um, but I really do think that they were kind of crushed under the weight of the of. All the pressure, you know. Everyone's comparing to the Bulls teams, and well, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they did lose that series in the finals to LeBron, um, and there was that whole Draymond Green getting, you know, uh, ejected and then suspended for a game. Like that really killed them, and it potentially flipped the series. Uh, that might have cost them another ring there. I think yeah, for me, but- for for me, seasons like this with like Gonzaga, kind of like. Think, when you talk about like in, the, in a football sense, it's like Boise State going undefeated and blowing everyone out when they played nobody all season long. And, you know, they, they get one bowl game. So like when you talk about like college football playoffs, if they have to go through like very good teams all the way, can you actually make the run when like you're playing a bunch of ranked teams? So like Baylor, I think they had uh, five teams like in their in their in the big, big 12 that were top 25 top 20 and three of those were top 10 teams so you're, you're playing great competition all the time I, it's for me it's just them being ranked one just because they're undefeated it's it's a stretch but well it's also because um, they had ridiculous talent but yeah yeah they, well, have, they, they have they have multiple guys that are going to be first round draft picks this year potentially first round draft picks in the future they have some really good players um in naturally. fact they're sixth man uh, went to Florida last year. He transferred from Florida, and he was one of the dominant players in the SEC. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying obviously they're not a bad team, but it, for me, it's hard to rank somebody one when you're not playing. You play maybe one ranked team, you know, a couple. It's you have to you have to play the schedule to earn that spot. So, so interestingly, Gonzaga actually did play quite a few out of conference games that were pretty uh, pretty well documented to be to be good teams. They they played Iowa, who they absolutely who they beat um, in the regular season. They played Virginia, who they beat in the regular season. They were supposed to play Baylor actually, but Baylor had a COVID bout, and so that game did not go off. Good so this their, would have been potentially a regular season. Well, this would have well Baylor was the one who had the COVID, so it would have. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that was good for Gonzaga's regular, perfect regular season. 
maybe, but I mean, we probably still get this game. If they had played before, there's a good chance that this game would have been different just because they would have had, you know, an understanding of what each other are trying to do to each other. All right, guys, th- this uh, this point has been been worked too hard. <laughs> let's move on to the next subject. So let's talk a little baseball. Um, guys, oh, it's it's been an interesting start to the baseball season. Uh, Newman, what's, what, what have your thoughts been so far? Oh, I mean... First off, when you look at the standings, there's actually no teams that are undefeated, which is a little surprising this early. Uh, normally, there's a team that you know reels off ten or so before they they take a loss, but no undefeated teams. There's a couple teams that are winless, um, and they're actually teams that are pretty good. Uh, the Braves and um, Oakland A's are both winless, and they're teams that are in the hunt for you know their divisions. And that just shows us that it very it means very very little at this early of the season. Um, there have been some interesting uh, you know. It's, pitching performances and, and some interesting things that happened. There was a little bit of a, there was a couple trades that happened. Rugnet Odor got traded into the Blue Jays division. So, I mean, Jose, <laughs> Jose Batista is not there for him to punch anymore, but maybe he'll find someone else to. Um, and I mean, the, I think the biggest thing though, is that we've, we have seen a few, you know, we always see a few injuries this time of year and uh, the biggest superstar in the game, probably at least that we want to be the biggest superstar in the game. Uh, Fernando Tatis sh- suffered a little shoulder injury. Uh, that gave us a little scare there. Um, yeah. I, for, 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 for me, there's only really two big storylines. Uh, obviously, it's a fucking long season. But and granted, they might have played the Pirates quite a few times, three times. But Cincinnati Reds leading the, the NL Central, 5-1 and one with a huge point differential. I hope some of you guys got them in fantasy. But uh, the biggest one... It, no, no one would have picked five, six, seven games into the season, but the race sitting at the base, the bottom of the uh, the AL East, is it's rough, it's rough, rough start for them. Yeah, I mean they lost an extra inning game that could have went the other way, and then they're but it's, they're but it's a loss, and then but they're at the lost. top, and then they're at the top of the division. You, you know what I mean? We're talking, yeah, uh, but but <clears throat> still, still in last. Yeah, well, I mean the Red Sox, the Red Sox got swept by the the Orioles, so. The zero percent Orioles. So the preseason Fangraphs had the Baltimore Orioles at a zero percent chance of making the playoffs, and then they go out and sweep their opening series uh, against yeah. the Red Sox, who a lot of people have in the playoffs. So I thought that was a fun wrinkle. I mean, Tampa starts off playing the Marlins. Obviously, uh, an AL team playing without mm-hmm. the DH affects them. There's no way around that. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing so far is is there's still no fun in baseball. Nick Castellanos gets suspended two games. He gets he gets pegged to the plate, real borderline, way inside pitch, looks intentional, uh, gets around to score on a pass ball. So him and the pitcher meet at home plate, and he gets up, flexes on him. Might have been some profanity, but to me, Major League Baseball stepping in to suspend him for two games is two games longer than they suspended the Houston Astros for their whole debacle. And all he did was something that we see on the NFL field every first down. Yeah, every single yeah. one, right? <laughs> we see in the NBA probably seven, eight times a game. Like, this is not anything that's extreme. But Major League Baseball continues to be the no-fun league. Yeah, I mean, there, there's can, baseball cannot get out of its own way. They have the worst commissioner in all of sports who continuously makes awful decisions. And obviously, one of the biggest stories of this last week is – Angel Hernandez, who let's let's face it, I mean he he is one of the black eyes bruises on the sport. You know, a sport that should very realistically move to just automated 
umping, especially in the strike zone, where they, get, they can give you real-time, instant feedback that there's nothing's left a chance. You're not going to be yeah. fucking fucked when you, when you bet on a game and Angela Hernandez calls a strike that's clearly a ball. Like, Angel Hernandez, he hasn't just been a story for the last few years. He has been in Major League Baseball for three decades. And I, I think even longer than that. So, like, through, through all the steroid era, through, through all of this, you have this awful umpire who is so bad that he complains that he's not getting more games, that he's not getting upgraded, I believe, for, like, the playoffs or the World Series. Yeah. So he, he, he's for, not... For his race. He, because they, they, they clearly chose these, they choose these guys based on performance. And so he makes the argument and sues his employer that has kept him employed despite the fact that he's fucking terrible for 30 years because he believes that the reason that he's not getting these advantages is because of his race. Well, often case, Angel Hernandez, that is the case. However, if you've been in Major League Baseball and how many games has this motherfucker umped? They had so much evidence to bring to the table, so he had the nerve to sue them for this. So what did Major League Baseball do? They can they prepared a defense. They literally showed how many how many errors like the average ump makes in the league compared to what he does. They they, they showed him the straight up decision making that they use for it. And a judge ruled that he's basically bad at his job. Like that that, that that's that's how that went down. And then Major League Baseball is so bad. They don't even attempt to fire this guy. He comes back, and he's since made, like, since that call, I, I, they showed a strike a strike zone for Bregman, who plays for Houston, so I'm a little bit torn on the strike zone. But they, <laughs> there were six pitches thrown in this, in this little outing, and he called, I think, four out of the six incorrectly. Four out of the six people. That is fucking terrible. <clears throat> terrible. Wait, so so here's the thing. A guy that's so delusional that doesn't understand that he's bad, you're surprised he would bring a lawsuit for something like that? Come on. I'm surprised like, they bring him good. back. That's why he brought the lawsuit. I'm surprised they bring him back. Why has this guy not been fired? This motherfucker so, has affected yeah. some dude that put thousands of dollars on a game. And I'm, I'm always so, sympathetic yeah. towards the, the, especially when you have the sport that can, they have something out there that can correct this right now, but they won't because they're dumb. Yeah. So here's the thing. One, they actually are implementing automated strike zones in some of the minor leagues to test out. So it's coming. Like, we'll, we'll be there. Probably it'll take a few years, but we'll get there. Um, two, it's a bad look for uh, Major League Baseball to fire a guy after bringing a lawsuit like this because it, it, it actually – you can you would be able to counter sue and, and be like wrongful termination, et cetera. Um, and then uh, just if we're, if we're ripping on MLB – Here's my here's my issue that I have. Almost, like still there's so many people working from home right now. Why is there not at least one day baseball game on every day that is broadcast nationally? Like how can't you figure that out so that people can watch your product more? I, I don't it's, know. It's everything they do. So so if you post MLB content, they, there's a good chance they'll hit you with a copyright strike. They'll try to pull it down. They want everybody going to MLB.com for information. And you look at some of the other leagues, like NFL, like, oh, you know, they play their little thing, you know, reproduction or whatever. But people, they put edits, they do everything. They want the game to grow. The NHL, even the NHL, who's a fourth-tier league in the country, is still trying to get a foothold in, in, in the U.S. They're obviously massive in Canada. There was a girl who was independently, her name was Stephanie, I, her, her hand was like Stephanie My Face or something like that. 
she was making <laughs> gifts like in real time, ripping images, making gifts of, of NHL plays. And you know what the NHL did? They fucking hired her. Yeah. She runs the NFL GIF handle now. And she is a, an official part of the NHL. Like they literally said, hey, do exactly what you're doing. So we want to pay you instead and send it from our handle. Like there's ways to grow the game in the modern era. And, and MLB wants nothing to do with it. I mean, how many referees in, in professional football can you name? Like Ed Hockey because he's fucking jacked. Like that's about it. There's a few guys you can name. In baseball, I can name three and they don't even use a microphone. Joe West, C.B. Buckner, and Angel Hernandez, all guys who try to make it about them, who try to show up players, who, who throw people out for the slightest offense and, and make it the fucking ref show, that's the umpire it, show. Who the fuck wants that? That's what I don't nobody, understand about your reasoning about how it's a bad look. It's been a bad look for decades. Now, now at least you have a ruling behind you where a judge straight up agreed that this guy is bad at what he does. Like, like what are the reason? Are, are, you, are you maintaining this, like... If, if, if as soon as that case is resolved, he should be out. He, absolutely. And the, te- and the team, like if a team's quarterback is playing poorly, they can cut him no problem. Why can't they do the exact same thing with a guy who arguably influences a, a game far more than a player, the umpire? It's fucking ridiculous to me. It just shows how out of touch and ridiculous the MLB is. This, this sport will never take the next leap because they're never willing to prepare. They're never prepared to do the things that are necessary to make them more relevant ever absolutely they always reject it they're they're playing to this boomer crowd that is dying out and they're they're actively unfollowing them because of the things that they're doing with the all-star game and things like that so they, they're they're shooting themselves That's, in the foot that was, that was my favorite that happened to this like the, the, the gop is trying to boycott baseball for being too woke i'm like yeah you got the wrong sport guys yeah can't the, the i mean the the group that hates cancel culture the most is trying to cancel something it's it's hilarious but yeah, I mean, it, it's just funny. And possibly they deserve to be canceled for a lot of reasons. <laughs> I don't think it's that, but they do deserve to be canceled because they're just terrible and they're bad at what they do. All right, guys, anything else? So, yeah, so uh, today is the 28th anniversary of, I don't know, what I think is a pretty fun movie, uh, The Sandlot. So you're killing me, Smalls, and all the other quotes that go in there. And so uh, that being the case... Uh, I figured we'll end this on, uh, you know, what are some of your favorite sports movies of all time? So as somebody who was born in the, the tail, tail, tail end of the 80s, uh, 90s kid, for me, there only is two answers to this, and they happen four years apart from each other. Remember the Titans, Friday Night Lights. Like To me, those are, those are it. Uh, yeah, those are the I, pinnacle. I mean, remember the Titans is as good as it gets. I, Sandlot's definitely up there, but I I just watched. I remember the Titans recently. I used to watch it for pump up games before football. Like it's, it's definitely it's it's hard to pass around that. That that Gettysburg scene belongs in any movie. Like that's it's good as like a dramatic scene. Like you know, it's 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 just so good. Denzel is a beast. Lots of you know good part actors. You know the Gary Bertier story, uh, Sunshine living on through Trevor Lawrence. Like it's as good as it gets. Uh, Hayden Panettiere. Some baby baby Hayden Panettiere uh, is in that movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think those are some pretty good ones, but uh, th- those aren't the only good ones. What else you got, Drew? That makes me think that you've jerked it to baby Panettiere. Um, anyways, <laughs> I'm just fucking with it. But it, hey, this is not so a, this is not a it, Matt Gates pod. This is gonna be <laughs> yeah. this is gonna be very unpopular opinion. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of the majority of sports movies. I think the majority of them sucks. Re- uh, Remember the Titans is incredible. Um, but 
because I'm such an anti-sports movie guy, and there's so many movies that so many people seem to hold so dear to their heart that I think are terrible. For the love of the game, uh, Sandlot is obviously a classic. I fucking love Sandlot. Uh, Don't say Rudy. Huge, Don't say huge, huge part of no, no. Rudy's terrible. It's 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 it's, it's an awful movie. I'm sorry. Um, exactly. I so oh. I'm I'm on the anti-sports movie track. I think the majority of them they're over dramatic. Um, a lot of them have pretty terrible, overrated acting, bad cinematography. From a film, from a basic film perspective, a lot of them suck. A lot of people like Draft Day. That movie's terrible. Sorry, oh, the movie's fucking awful. One of my favorites. So, watch every draft so day. How about I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you. Well, you see, baseball would be, would be up there. So the anti-sports movie is really what I like. And I think one of the dumbest slash funniest movies of all time is not another teen movie because it makes fun of <laughs> it makes fun oh, of like groups. varsity yeah. blues. It makes fun of all the corny fu- dude. Varsity blues is fucking awful. Now I, I I will watch varsity blues when I'm drunk sometimes, and it's a good watch when you're when you're doing it like that. But if you're actually going to go into Varsity Blues and actually take that movie seriously, it's so bad. Now, I'm not saying that there are not good sports movies. I agree with you. Remember, the Titans is amazing. But I like kind of the anti-sports movie, the ones that kind of poke fun at it, because they really are so easy to poke fun at. And most of them, I'm sorry, they're bad. They're, they're terrible. A lot of them. So that's my... Yeah, I, I mean, th- th- that's fair. There, there's none of them that are really winning uh, Academy Awards, but that's not why we watch, right? We watch for entertainment value, and some of them are pretty pretty uh, rewatchable, so I'll give them that. Yep. Manu, so Manu. I have some breaking news. Uh, one minute ago, Ian Rappaport reports that the Panthers have come to terms with cornerback A.J. Boye. Oh, wow. Nice. The Panthers are going for it all, man. Wow, that, 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 division, <laughs> that division just got crowded. Um, mm-hmm. it re- I mean, it, it, it's, it's been getting crowded. The Panthers were so surprisingly uh, competitive last year. Uh, when you look at the Saints with Jameis Winston and bringing almost all their weapons back, the Saints are going to be really, really good. The Bucks literally brought everybody back. What a fucking division. And the, Except you know, AB. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, far. They, but, you know. Did you, did you see that story? I think it was it was either Devin White or... Yeah, Devin White. Are was you it Devin White? Devin White said, well, AB's like, he, he, so he messages at the Bucks sign AB on Instagram, and Devin White says, Hey, they say they're waiting on you. <laughs> like, get your ass in here and stop asking for so goddamn much I mean, money. If you thought AB was going to be a team player in that mix, you're fucking wrong. And dude, yeah, from, wrong. From, from AB's perspective, he is, you know, he's on the tail end of his, he, he's, he's looking for a few contract grabs. He's got his ring. I don't, I don't, I don't hate him at all. No, he's he's got to cash out. He, yeah. he needs like a two for 25. No, nobody's paying him that much. Yeah. It's, no, I mean, it's, well, especially because he's, he's well, he's always a minute away from smashing some fucking property and yeah. going to jail. So, yeah. 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 He, he's, he's a sub $10 million receiver <laughs> anymore. And it's just, there's no way around it. Absolutely. Yeah. His deal has to be incentive laden, if, if anything. All right, guys. Closing thoughts. Nothing. <laughs> Nash McCaffrey, MVP 2021. No, it's never going to happen. My closing thoughts are I've been looking at a lot of pre-draft rankings for fantasy, and I'm seeing a lot of guys that are really interesting. Some guys that I think are ranked way too high. Some guys that I think are, are ranked too way too low. Guys that I think they're ranked too high. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Justin Jefferson. He, he's, he's, he's projected to go towards the end of the second round. I think you have to be weary about a guy like that that just broke the rookie record and, and his regression. But a guy that I love on the on the exact same draft, uh, CD Lamb is projected to go around forty eight fifty, and I fucking love CD Lamb this year with Dak coming back. Okay, 
Anything else? All right, guys. From all of us here at the Sports Memory Podcast, have a great night.